We're going to be in Matthew 11 this morning. We were uh, finishing up stories in Matthew 9. We went through Matthew 8 and 9 um, through Lent, and then there were some stories in Matthew 9 that we didn't hit, and uh, one of them was uh, about John's disciples coming to Jesus and asking, why didn't you fast, which uh, took us to Matthew 11. Uh, where there's a couple stories about John the Baptist. Last week we looked at a story where John's, uh, John the Baptist's disciples come back to Jesus, and uh, John is sitting in prison. Herod Antipas has put John in prison, and uh, John is sitting in prison, and he's wondering, he has a question for Jesus, because John, at the beginning of John's ministry, he had gone around proclaiming, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Uh, he, he looked at Jesus and he said, This is the one. He saw the Spirit descend from heaven and come upon Jesus. And now John is sitting in prison. And uh, two weeks ago when we looked at this story, we talked about uh, reality. We talked about the difficulties of life. We talked about how disappointment can just weigh us down, that how hardships can weigh us down. And here's John, who had anticipated Jesus, the Messiah, coming to free them from Roman oppression, coming to free them from Rome's puppet king, Herod Antipas. And instead, John is sitting in Herod's prison. And so he sends his disciples to Jesus with a question, and the question is, are you the one? Who was to come or should we expect someone else because John has in his mind all these prophecies from the Hebrew scriptures one of which talks about setting the prisoners free in Isaiah 61 and Jesus quotes a couple of these Hebrew prophecies from Isaiah and he touches on Isaiah 61 that uh, the uh, good news is proclaimed to the poor, but Jesus conveniently leaves out the part of Isaiah 61 where the prisoners are set free. And so John has to be thinking, what is going on here? How can this be? How did I miss this? And Jesus is encouraging John to keep moving forward, that this, this kingdom that Jesus came to inaugurate is not like the kingdoms of the world. This kingdom Jesus came to inaugurate is not going to be one of violence and force driving Rome out. Rather, it is going to be a kingdom of self-giving love. It's going to be a kingdom that requires the long, hard path of the cross so that we can experience the abundant life of resurrection. And John has to sit with this in his prison cell. He has to wrestle with these thoughts about Jesus and, and the reasons Jesus is saying he came, which conflict somewhat with the reasons John thought the Messiah would come. And so Jesus sends John's disciples back to John, and he says, go back and report to John what you see and hear. Verse 5, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. So Jesus is saying, don't, don't stumble over what you see me doing and what I'm not doing. 
your expectations of who you thought I would be, what you thought I would do, don't stumble over that. Look at what I'm doing, what I'm proclaiming, and trust and believe that I am indeed the Messiah, and I have come to bring hope and healing and freedom to everyone who will receive it. So we're going to pick back up in verse 7. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No. Those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Okay. So Jesus, right after John sends his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the one? Jesus sends the disciples back. And then he starts talking about John. And he knows there were masses of people who went out to the wilderness to see this guy, John the Baptist. There, the news had spread. There's a new prophet in town. And he's out in the wilderness. You need to go out there to see him. And people went out there to see him. People went out there to be baptized by him. People went out there to hear what he was saying. And Jesus says, so, so what did you go out to see? What was your purpose? And going out to see this guy? Was it to see the reeds out in the wilderness that are swayed by the wind? Was it to see someone dressed up in elegant clothes? Uh, now, what Jesus is doing here, he's using some coded language to get after Herod Antipas. Uh, so, first, I want to show you. Well, that didn't show up too well. Uh, so, Herod the Great was the king of the Jews when Jesus was born. Now, when Herod died, he split his kingdom up, okay? So uh, Aristobulus uh, was actually executed by Herod the Great in 7 BC. So the other three, Herod Antipas, Archelaus, and Herod Philip II, uh, Israel, Palestine was divided up between those three. Now, Herod Philip, was married to a woman named Herodias. Isn't that a great name? Uh, and uh, his brother, Herod Antipas, saw Herodias and said, actually, I'd like her to be my wife. And so he took her from his brother and married her. Uh, this is why John the Baptist is in prison. Because John the Baptist called out Antipas and said, that is not okay. And Herod Antipas said, really? And he put John in prison. Uh, and so John the Baptist is in prison. So Herod Antipas is ruling over the region of the Galilee, where Jesus' primary ministry takes place. And so Herod Antipas, every king could create their own coins. And coins were a mode of communication back in the first century. There wasn't mass communication like we have today. And so coins were a way of communicating. And what Herod chose to put on his coin was the Galilean reed. The reed that would sway in the wind. And so when Jesus says, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? Did you go out to see a reed that sways in the wind? In other words, did you go out to see someone who just flip-flops? 
depending on what's going on in the culture and the day and politics? Did you go out to see someone who just one day says one thing and the next day says another thing and the next day says another thing? Did you go out to, out to the wilderness to see someone who will be pressured by the winds of change and whatever the culture is saying or whatever the people in power are saying they're gonna go with? Is that what you went out to see? Uh, or did you go out to see someone dressed in fine clothes like another Herod Antipas? Did you go out to see a king? Uh, what's interesting to me here is in the weight of the moment where John the Baptist is in prison, Jesus is actually being very funny. Did you go out to see someone dressed in fine clothes? What did John wear? Does anyone know what John wore? Camel hair. That was his clothes. He'd wear camel hair. He ate locusts and wild honey. This dude was like a wild man out in the wilderness. You went, I mean, you hear about this guy, you go out to see him, you're like, oh my goodness, look at that dude. Like, camel hair? He's wearing camel hair and he's reaching into a honey beehive to get honey to eat. Who is this guy? And so Jesus said, did you go out to see someone dressed in fine clothes? People were probably laughing at that line because they knew what John looked like. They knew what he was wearing. What Jesus is doing here is showing a conflict of kingdoms. John and Jesus were not proclaiming the type of kingdom that Herod Antipas was living in. John and Jesus were proclaiming a completely different kind of kingdom. And so Jesus is saying, what did you go out to see? Did you go to see someone who's just going to be swayed by the winds of change? Did you go out to see uh, uh, another king dressed up in fine clothes? What did you go out to see? Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you. And more than a prophet. Okay, Jesus says, no, you didn't go out to see someone swayed by the wind. No, you didn't go out to see another king. You went out to see a prophet. You heard that there was a new prophet in town. There, there hadn't been a Hebrew prophet in 400 years. And people are hearing, there's a prophet. There's a new prophet. This guy's a prophet. And so, of course, people are going out to see him because no one of this generation has ever seen or heard a prophet speak. And now they're hearing rumors that there's a true prophet from God and he's out in the wilderness. And if you want to hear what he's saying, you have to go out there to see him and hear him. This is the one about whom it is written. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Okay, so Jesus is quoting from Malachi 3.1, a prophecy about John the Baptist. This is uh, what Malachi says. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. So this is a prophecy the messenger being John the Baptist, and then the Messiah will come. Once this messenger, this prophet comes, then the Messiah will come. And so by quoting this text about John the Baptist, Jesus is embedding in what he says about John the Baptist, I, I am the Messiah. I am the one you have been waiting for. This is such a climactic moment for the Jewish people. 
the first prophet in 400 years, and now the proclamation that the Messiah is among them in Jesus. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Okay. This is a huge statement, isn't it? Truly I tell you, no one born of woman is greater than John the Baptist. Jesus is basically saying John the Baptist is the greatest human being ever up to this point. A dude wearing camel hair is the greatest person to have ever been born. He's talking to his fellow Hebrew people who are thinking of Moses. Moses, who was God's man to lead all the people out of slavery, out of Egypt. He's talking to his fellow Hebrew people who are thinking, King David. King David. Jesus, you're telling us that this guy, John the Baptist, is greater than King David? How is that possible? Uh, There's something so truly comforting to me about these words from Jesus because John had just questioned the authenticity of Jesus' Messiahship. John has doubts. John is wondering, what's going on? I'm in prison. This is not the way it's supposed to be. What is going on here? And Jesus turns around and says, he's the greatest person ever born. Greatest person ever born. And yet... He says, whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Uh, This is a huge transitionary period in history. John is the last of the great prophets. A whole new era is being birthed. The era of the kingdom of heaven. The era of this kingdom that Jesus has come to bring in a whole new way, a whole new creation bursting forth right in the midst of this one. And Jesus says, if you're a part of my kingdom, you're greater than John because something new is happening. Something bigger is happening than what we've ever experienced before. I'm bringing a whole new way of being in the world. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence, and violent people have been raiding it. Okay. Uh, This verse, frankly, scholars are all over the map on what on earth does this even mean. Uh, There's like 15 different interpretations. Uh, The general consensus around this and what Jesus is saying is this new kingdom that Jesus is bringing about is being fought against. Uh, that those in power, like Herod Antipas, are fighting against this kingdom. And they do so with violence, they do so with force. How are they doing it with John? Put him in prison. What's going to happen to John? He's going to get beheaded. Violence. Powerful people using violence to get their way to fight against the kingdom of God. Jesus bringing this kingdom, this kingdom of peace, this kingdom of love. What happens? The kingdom of Rome... And the religious elite of the day, they nail him to a cross, an act 
act of violence brought against the kingdom. What they don't know and what they don't understand is that when usually violence begets violence, it's not the case in Jesus's kingdom. When violence is done against the kingdom, Jesus' people walk the hard way of the cross. Jesus took all the sin, all the heartache, all the violence, all the evil upon himself on the cross. And what violent people didn't understand is that that violent act was the victory of God. It was through the cross that Jesus defeats violence, defeats death, defeats evil, and by the power of his resurrection, brings about a whole new creation and this new way of being in the world that he invites us into. The way of forgiveness, the way of grace, the way of love, the way of hope for a new way of experiencing life and God in the world. Verse 13. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Okay, so there's this anticipation. Elijah, one of the great prophets, was going to return. And what Jesus is saying, if you have ears to hear, if you can understand this, John the Baptist himself was the Elijah to come. Some text uh, here. I can have the Luke text. He will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Uh, this is speaking of John the Baptist. And next slide. To be sure, Elijah comes and will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come and they did not recognize him but have done to him everything they wish. In the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. So Jesus is talking here about John the Baptist uh, after he has died and foretelling his own death as well, that this kingdom that Jesus came to inaugurate is one of sacrificial, self-giving love. And John walked that hard road of the cross that Jesus will walk as well. To what can I compare this generation? They are like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to others. We played the pipe for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. Okay. So uh, Jesus, he's kind of bookending what he says here when he talks about the reed swaying in the wind. What did you go out to see? A reed swaying in the wind? Just someone who's going to do whatever the wind is doing? with them. Uh, here he, he's talking about children in the marketplace who would play games. Uh, and as parents were shopping for food or whatnot, uh, children would play in the marketplace. In a couple of games they would play, one would be wedding and one would be funeral. And, and Jesus is saying, listen, all, the religious people of the day, uh, you're, you're like children playing games. Like you, you just can't be pleased, can you? Uh, these children, I want to play wedding. No, I want to play funeral. No, let's play wedding. No, I want to play funeral. Fine, fine, we'll play wedding. I don't like the way you play wedding. I'm not playing with you anymore. Uh, 
I never hear that kind of stuff in my house. My kids always get along so great. Uh, regularly, I heal, I'll hear one of my children say, I'm not playing with you anymore. Uh, and Jesus is saying, that, that's what this religious generation is like. You're fickle. You can't be pleased. You want to play the game your way by your rules or you won't play at all. Uh, I'm so glad we're all adults here and no one does that. Yeah. We're all so grown up, mature. I, I wonder for us, uh, what games do you play? When you don't get your way, what games do you play? Do you, do you choose the road of sacrificial love or do you choose the road of I'm not playing with you anymore? Uh, do you choose the road of grace or do you choose the road of passive-aggressive? Uh, do you choose the road of forgiveness or do you choose the road of game-playing and it's your way or no way? Uh, th there is a difference between being childlike and being childish. Uh, Jesus commends childlike faith. Here in Matthew 11, he says, you're being childish. You're being petty. Uh, these games we play have a lot to do with expectations, don't they? When our expectations of other people aren't met, we either play our games or we choose the harder path. Grace, love, forgiveness. I, I wonder today, what are your expectations of those in your life? And what do you do when they're not met? What are your expectations of your spouse? And when your spouse doesn't meet your expectations, how do you respond? What are your expectations of your children? And when your children don't meet your expectations, preaching to myself now too, how do you respond? When your parents don't meet your expectations, how do you respond? When, when your employer doesn't meet your expectations, when your employees don't meet your expectations, when your clients don't meet your expectations, when your friends don't meet your expectations, when your church doesn't meet your expectations, Expectations are always going to be let down. So how do you handle the letdown? Do you get angry? Do, do you function out of a place of fear? Or do you hold those expectations loosely and turn to God and say, God, I can't change anyone. So we live with this lie that we actually think we can change people. We can't. God, I can't change 
anyone. But I know by your grace and the power of your spirit, I can be changed. And so God, help me release my expectations. Help me release my desire to change this person or that person. And God, change me. Change me. That's the harder path, isn't it? Because we're addicted to being right. And when our rightness is confronted by someone else's actions or words, to release our need to be right is the harder path. To release our expectations, to choose grace, to choose love, to choose forgiveness, to choose relationship over rightness is the harder path. Uh, the religious people of Jesus' day had certain expectations of the Messiah, and they were let down. Uh, they had certain expectations of this prophet John, and they were let down. Uh, John and Jesus were not playing the game correctly, according to their rules. Notice the next verse. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, here's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Okay. John, you're too rigid. Uh, you talk about judgment too much. Uh, you don't have any fun. Here you are out in the wilderness, dressed all funky, and you just, dude, you're weird. You must be demonic. Jesus, you party too much, you hang out with the wrong people, you drink all the time, you, you're constantly eating, you never fast. There's no way you're the Messiah. Neither one played the game correctly. They're, one's demonic, the other's a glutton and a drunkard. Uh, do you realize how funny Jesus is? I mean, this is funny. He... He's funny. But he's getting after something. And it's expectations that are let down. So I, Jesus said, I'm not, I'm not going to play your game your way. And so I wonder for us this morning, are you willing to stop playing games? and simply receive everything Jesus has for you. Jesus comes to give us abundant life. Jesus comes to give us a way of being in the world that is so radically different than what the world tells us we should be doing or how we should be acting. Jesus comes to completely renovate our entire being. We, we live in a culture that is so focused on the exterior. What, what did you go out in the wilderness to see? Someone dressed in fine clothes? We, we live in a culture that wants to see the fine clothes, that, that wants to see the exterior gloss 
And Jesus said, that's, that's not your true heart. That's not what you went out into the wilderness to see. And it's not what you truly long for. You're, those desires for the next best thing, those desires to be better looking, to, to lose weight, to uh, have the new car, to have the new house, to have the new wardrobe, to have the next new thing, those desires, they're simply broken desires that are rooted in a true and good desire that is for God. Jesus has hardwired us to long for God. And it is God who will work on those broken desires and reorient them towards God's Spirit working in us to bring life and hope and love in a whole new way of being in the world. Uh, this morning, as we come and partake of the bread and the cup, as, as you take this piece of bread, a beautiful picture of Christ's body given for us, as you dip it in the cup, a beautiful picture of Christ's blood poured out for us. I want to invite you this morning as you partake to, to receive from Jesus the reorienting of your desires, the, the games we play to let those go and allow Jesus to reorient your desires towards him. The, the longing for all the externals to let those go and allow Jesus to reorient your desires towards him. God, thank you for this story. Thank you for Jesus, for his words. God, I pray that you would give us faith that is more and more childlike and that you would free us more and more from being childish. God, make us a people who are shaped and formed by your spirit. God, take those broken desires, shape them, form them, reorient them towards Christ. God, give us the strength and the courage to choose the harder path the path of love, the path of grace, the path of forgiveness, the path of joy. And God, help us to release fear and anger and cynicism. God, make us into the people you created us to be. May we rest in your love. May we rest in your spirit and trust your spirit to lead and guide us. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. As you go today, my prayer for you is that you will release expectations, that you will release broken desires, and that you will grasp hold of God's spirit who is reforming you and reshaping you in the way of Jesus. May the Lord bless you and keep you May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his countenance towards you and give you his shalom, the very peace of Jesus that surpasses all 
understanding. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Amen.